good. I want to encourage you this morning to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. If you do not have a Bible this morning, uh, we do have Bibles that are available for you. So uh, a couple of our men here will still make their way around. So if you just need a Bible to follow along this morning, put your hand up and we'd be more than happy to get one so you can follow along with us together today. As you're turning to uh, Philippians 4, uh, just a couple of quick thank yous. Uh, First of all, a huge thank you to uh, this church family for your response to everything that our community experienced uh, last week. Obviously, it was a very challenging time for the Mackinac community, a time in which they needed hope more than ever. And I just want to commend you as a church for the way that you have come alongside the the families, the community, those who are hurting. And I know many of you are still doing that. And so I just don't want that to go overlooked right now. And so just a point of gratitude for all the ways that you are seeking to love and serve our community right now. And then another thank you, just as Kyle prayed earlier, uh, just for your, your investment and your service to the children Um, in this church and in this community. Uh, We've had quite the past few weeks uh, with Vacation Bible School, uh, an incredible week in which uh, a huge percentage of you gave up every single evening to come and to serve and to really work with our kiddos. Job well done. Thank you so much for that. And for many of you, you are also serving with our One Way Kids program. This is the final week for that in the community as well. A huge thank you for those of you who have made that possible. Um, In particular this week, if you have a chance, really say thank you and uh, express your gratitude to Alana Kennel, who has been our intern this summer, who has run that. As you think about VBS, uh, if you see Sharon Carey, uh, if I know Sharon, the one thing she loves more than anything is to have all the attention on her. And so please make sure you thank Sharon for all of her work that she did with VBS as well. I'm glad you understand that's a joke. So today we do reach the end of our journey through the letter of Paul to the Philippians, a great letter that has set forth for us the nature of indestructible joy for the Christian life. And the final words that Paul offers for us in this letter today are far from throwaway words. Uh, He's not just seeking to add to his word count and Uh, just waste words. No, rather he expresses a final and sincere joy over the sweet relationship that he has shared with these dear saints. And so it's an appropriate way to wrap up our study as we consider the final nine verses from Paul to the Philippians in chapter 4. So if you're able, stay with me as we read this morning from Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 14 through the end of the letter. Paul writes this, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more, and I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice 
acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you, and all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits. This is God's word for us to meditate on this morning. You may be seated and let's pray and ask for the Lord's favor on our study together. Father, we do now come to you. We come asking for your grace and your blessing of our time of study this morning. Um, Father, I know that many of us come tired and weak, maybe beaten down by things this week, or emotionally weighed by, down by the burdens and the challenges that life is throwing at us right now. And so we come now to your word, knowing that it is the source of life. Where else can we go but to your words? We know that they are the source of living water and revive us and give us all that we need for life and godliness. Lord, I pray that you would work through our weaknesses, and I include myself in that, that the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth will be pleasing and honorable to you today as we unpack your scriptures, we ask. Amen. Saying goodbye can be hard. Whether it's saying goodbye to your kids before you drop them off at school, or preparing to say a final goodbye to a loved one before they pass into eternity. There are a number of ways to say goodbye and a number of ways to express the love that you have for that person. I've found that goodbyes can even be challenging when it comes to writing. Whether it be an email or a special note, what you say at the end matters. It communicate something. I've often fussed about what I say to whom and to and on what particular occasion. Uh, there's so many options of how you can wrap up your correspondence with someone with a final greeting or salutation to them. You could say yours truly, best regards, sincerely, blessings, in Christ, a lot can be communicated by how a particular message is concluded. And I believe that that could be said here of Paul in his final verses in this great letter to the Philippians. Paul has said a lot in these last few chapters, hasn't he? He has shown love, care, and camaraderie for these dear people. And now the end has come and he must put the finishing touches on this masterful letter. What do you do? What do you say? If we were to sum up Paul's closing salutation to the Philippians, I believe it would read something like this. So long, partner. So long, partner. And that's because of the sweet relationship that Paul shares with these people. They have walked with him. They have labored with him. They have supported his ministry. 
They are near and dear to his heart. And honestly, that's the way that it should be with gospel partnerships. And so as we look at these closing verses today, I want us to see how we can rejoice in the sweet gospel partnership that we share together. That by looking at this passage, we should rejoice in the sweet gospel partnership that we share with one another. I believe that Paul is going to help us see how that is possible today. This whole series has been built around this core idea of indestructible joy. And I am more convinced today than I ever have been before that close Christian relationships, particularly within the sphere of the local church, are essential to indestructible joy. We can all agree that the most essential component is having joy in the right place, which is in Christ Jesus Himself. But Jesus did not call us to operate in individual relationship with Him. No, He has called us to labor and to live in close proximity to other brothers and sisters, close partnership with those believers for the glory of God. And that is something that Paul found in his time with the Philippians. And I want to look at that in closer detail this morning as we wrap up our study. And so as we walk through our text today, I want you to consider four joyful expressions of gospel partnership. Four joyful expressions of gospel partnership. And I believe that the first expression of joyful Partnership is found in verses 14 and 16 where we see the joy of giving. See the joy of giving. Verse 14 is kind of unique. If you notice when we read, it kind of felt like an abrupt start to this passage. And that is because Paul is really continuing his flow of thinking from two weeks ago when we studied verses 10 through 13 where he's expressing joy and gratitude over the gifts that they have sent him, the support that they have lent him, but he's making it very clear that he has learned what it is to be content in any and every situation. Uh, Paul is letting them know that he has received their financial support, and he's wanting to express what that means to him. And while he is certainly grateful for this gift, he had no means to provide for himself in prison, remember? His greater is for the Philippians themselves. Verse 14, their kindness is just another expression of the sweet friendship and fellowship that they shared with one another. That word share there in verse 14 is important because once again, it is a use of that significant word that we've found time and time again throughout this letter, that Greek word koinonia, which means fellowship, to share in something together. It's a fun word, right? Koinonia. Say it together. Koinonia. Yeah, it's fun to say. By providing financial support, this church is tangibly expressing their close gospel partnership with Paul. Here they are sharing in Paul's trouble, helping alleviate some of the gospel burdens that he himself is carrying. But by verse 15, he makes it very clear that this is no surprise. This is nothing new. This is nothing 
out of the ordinary for these people. And what he does in verses 15 and 16 is he recounts their proven track record in this area. He talks about how Philippi was the first city and where uh, Paul ministered in this region of what's known as Macedonia on his second missionary journey. That's uh, where he established a believing community, a church there. And Paul entered into a very unique partnership with these people that he did not pursue with other churches in that re- region. They were the only ones. And we ask ourselves, well, why is that? Why didn't he enter into this same type of partnership everywhere he went throughout this region? I mean, after all, wouldn't that be a good thing that he would have financial support coming from here, coming from here, coming from here? And the reason that he didn't do that, I believe, is important and it's significant. Paul himself experienced this throughout his ministry, but there was a stigma at this time of traveling preachers, traveling prophets who would go town to town looking for financial support and really out of greed, gathering up loads of money so that motives were often obscured. I mean, how often was Paul criticized in his ministry and slandered for all kinds of false accusations? And so he, out of a desire to be above reproach, did not try to establish the same level of partnership everywhere he went, lest he be accused of false motives. So he entered into this sweet relationships in which these people gave and supported his ministry time and time again. In fact, he he says that this went beyond this region when he ministered outside of Macedonia, but he says that this was a track record uh, for them even before he left there. He says in verse 16, even in Thessalonica, which was in Macedonia, you sent me help for my needs time and again. You were eager from the very start to do this work alongside me. And perhaps the most amazing part in all of this was not just the amount of support, but their willingness, despite their own means. After all, we learn otherwhere in Scripture that the Philippians were not known for their wealth and abundance like other cities were, and yet they gave from the generosity of their hearts. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul talks about this, right? He talks about when he was in severe affliction, their abundance, talking about the believers in the Macedonia region, particularly here, Philippi, out of their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, they have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their parts. These people gave out of their willingness, out of their ability, even though that they didn't have much to offer. It was a sweet and a fragrant offering to the Lord and to Paul, which is what sets up the second expression of joyful gospel partnership in this passage, which we see is the joy of growing, because Paul's joy for their giving stems from an even greater joy that is at play here. In verse 17, Paul once again, without trying to sound ungrateful, attaches a a, a clarifier to his thank you. In verse 17, he says, not that I seek the gift. 
I'm not seeking anything selfishly here. I'm not primarily concerned about the offering and the gift that you are giving to support me here. His gratitude is not first and foremost about the gift itself, but what the gift is a sign of. What the gift ultimately reflects. In this case, it is a sign of their spiritual fruitfulness. A clear indicator that they are growing in their faith and their dependence upon God. And notice their fruitfulness is not just about helping out Paul. Ironically enough, Paul is not the main one who benefits from this. He says to them, I seek what benefits to your credit. Notice how he says that there. The fruit that increases to your credit, your benefits. That's Paul's way of saying this is just as much about your personal good as it is for me the nature of this type of sweet gospel partnership. God uses relational depth as a means towards greater spiritual depth. This is the very thing that Paul wants for these people. After all, what he prayed at the start of the letter, what we've been repeating at the end of all of our services for about the last five months was what? That they would be filled with the fruit of what? Righteousness. He's been praying that the Lord would produce this spiritual fruit in their lives. And this is not only pleasing to Paul, but guess what? It is also pleasing to God. He compares it in verse 18 to a fragrant offering, a sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. What's that all about? Well, what he is doing there is he is adopting and utilizing some of that language that you would usually see in the Old Testament language where the Israelites would offer up burnt offerings and sacrifice of animals to the Lord and assuming that those were done in faith and an expression of obedience to God, that would be considered a fragrant offering. It's an interesting way of looking at it, right? Fragrant implies smell. Let me ask you this. What fragrances appeal to you? We all have fragrances that we like, right? I appreciate the smell of a coffee shop, fresh brewed and fresh ground coffee. If you were to go into my office, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but if you pull out one of my bottom drawers, you'll see that there's about 15 different candles that are in there because I appreciate a good smelling office. Maybe it's because I live in this building where smells are of a unique nature. But going back to verse 18, we ask ourselves, does God actually smell? Uh, is, is God of the nature that he actually smells what we do? No, this is Paul's way of saying that when we live in faith, and obedience to God, when we are being filled with the fruit of righteousness and that is overflowing into our relationships with other people, we operate as living sacrifices that glorify and praise and magnify our great God. 
that is not only pleasing and a cause for joy in Paul, but also for God himself. And it brings us to a third expression of joyful gospel partnership this morning, and that is the joy of greeting. The joy of greeting in verses 21 through 23. These verses offer the final farewell of Paul to his dear friends in Philippi. And on the surface, we may not make much of these verses, but in reality, they are some of the most intimate in his entire letter. Uh, to greet is to be a sign of, of welcome, a sign of hospitality, is to understand that you are uh, being embraced and welcomed into a community. And verse 21 is not some impersonal throwaway statement when he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. It's not some impersonal way of saying, hey, uh, tell everyone there I said hi. No, when he says, greet every saint, He's actually using individual language there. Greet each and every one who is a part of this community of faith. It's personal. And while Paul does not single out a, a single person, this is Paul's unique way of saying, I want each of you to feel my personal greeting yourselves. That's the type of affection that gospel partnership and Christian fellowship bring to our lives. And Paul wants to encourage these people by letting them know that such a community of support is much bigger than they may even realize. He expands this community greeting in verse uh, 21 to say, the brothers who are with me, not just me personally, but the brothers, those who are of the community of faith who are with me, they also greet you. Paul was not alone, nor did he want the Philippians to feel alone. There is power in helping Christian communities see their common union in Christ. We are not alone, church, in this fight. That's why we enjoy sweet gospel partnership with other like-minded believers, other like-minded churches, even here in this community. And if that's not enough to encourage the church in Philippi, Verse 22 should be. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. This is Paul's way of say, uh, saving the best for last. Including those of Caesar's household. You realize at this time, Caesar is considered to be the most powerful and influential leader in the known world. And here we learn that there are believers, even within his household, meaning maybe servants and employees, those who have direct access to this man, they have been infiltrated with the gospel. This church, listen, this is exactly why Paul did not want them to worry back in chapter 1 when he knew that they would be concerned about his well-being, the fact that he is now imprisoned in Rome and they have every reason to be fearful and worried about his well-being. He says to them, I need you to realize that my imprisonment is giving me access for the gospel to spread in ways that it would not maybe otherwise be able to. 
This imprisonment is allowing the gospel to spread in ways that they never would have realized. And now it is impacting the very people at the heart of the governing world. He says it this way, he says, Though both the Philippians and Paul were under Roman oppression, there were brothers and sisters within Caesar's walls who were on their side and praying for them. How encouraging is that? What an encouraging note to end on. What a high point to see how in Christ we can be brought into a new spiritual family relationship with those we might not otherwise have anything in common with. But fourthly, we should not be quick to overlook the joyful expression that we found back in verse 20. You may have forgotten about it. Where we see that our sweet gospel partnership produces the joy of glorifying. The joy of glorifying. Here reflects the overflow of Paul's heart. It also serves as the goal of our life as followers of Christ, both to delight in God and to live pleasing to God. So what's going on in this singular verse? It's what we would call a doxology, an expression of praise that Paul bursts into. It's what happens when he considers the way he expects God to provide for the Philippian believers in verse 19. Paul gets overwhelmed at this beautiful interplay. They are serving him and providing for his needs. It is an act of worship that is pleasing to God. And in return, God is able and willing to supply for their need, not their greed, but their need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Are those riches merely just physical and financial? Oh no, absolutely not. No, they go so much beyond that. It's Paul's way of saying, I know that God will provide you everything you need to keep running strong. Going back to verse 13, that in Christ I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. That when Christ is my everything and my all, I have all that I need. And God will continue to add that and to supply that to grow me in my faith. And who gets the praise for that? God does. Only God does. And it serves as a reminder to us of the big picture in the Christian life that we exist to glorify God together, to make much of God together, which is what our faithful service to the Lord does, is that it makes much of Him, not ourselves. The joy is that we don't have to do that alone. We get to do that in partnership with other brothers and sisters who are in Christ Jesus. And so as we consider everything that Paul has written here, these final verses that conclude this letter, let's consider a few key takeaways from this morning's passage. The first of which is this, that biblical fellowship is centered around God. Biblical fellowship is centered around God. 
As I unpacked this passage earlier this week, I noticed a, a fun interplay that is happening in this passage between Paul and the Philippians. In many ways, it serves as a, a triangle that is pointing to God at the top. You have the Philippians and their partnership with Paul through financial support and giving to support his needs. And yet, at the same time, that is serving, we learn here, as a fragrant offering and an act of worship to God himself. You have Paul writing this letter that serves the Philippians and, and instructs them and encourages them and cares for them. Yet, at the same time, that is an expression of his service and his gospel ministry that he has been appointed to in Christ Jesus as well. And all of this, you have God here supplying to both parties the strength and the encouragement and all that they need to carry out their task. Notice the sweet nature of that fellowship and that partnership where God is at the center, God is at the top working. These things are not just individual things. They are all working together with God as the central focus. It's a meaningful fellowship centered around God himself. In fact, the word fellowship itself has to have a central focus because you have to ask yourselves, what is it that you are fellowshipping in? What is your central purpose together? And this passage reminds us that it is God himself. Christian fellowship, biblical fellowship, is centered around God. Secondly, Financial giving is one of the clearest expressions of gospel partnership. Think about it. What would it look like to have a close partnership that lacked any type of financial support on your end? Ask yourself what type of partnership that really is. One of my favorite partnerships of the past has been with an organization called the Girl Scouts of America. We have a nice relationship going where I give them money and they provide me with delicious cookies, right? They don't just give me cookies because I'm a big fan of theirs. No, there is buy-in, there is investment, and it is a joyful and delicious investment. But we must be clear that these two ideas of partnership and financial giving must go together. We're not giving as a consumer of a product like cookies, obviously. But we are giving as a sign of support and a sign of partnership in a common work together. I like the way that Tony Morita says it in his commentary on Philippians. He says this, he says, Paul shows here the inseparable relationship between financial giving and gospel partnership. If you aren't giving, you aren't really a partner. You're more like a consumer or a customer. But Paul doesn't view the Philippians as customers. He views them as co-laborers. They put skin in the game, even though many of them weren't wealthy. They earned a reputation for giving sacrificially, generously, and cheerfully to support the mission, end quote. I don't know what you're saying maybe this morning as you sit there. You're like, Pastor Scott, this sounds an awful lot like the I need to give more money to the church type of sermon. Now, sure, but hopefully the verses speak for themselves here. I'm not here to tell you that that's what that means for you. 
In fact, we're going to talk in just a moment here about how this goes far beyond this. And, but like I said, hopefully these verses speak for themselves, but not just speak of what happened, but the outcome that results. Look at the joy that Paul and the Philippians share together in this partnership. Nobody is acting here begrudgingly. Nobody's trying to twist each other's arms here or guilt them into doing something. They are motivated by love and care and consideration which then produced, guess what? A greater love and joy and affection as a result. And so while gospel partnership may entail more than just financial giving, it is certainly not less than that. And this all leads into a third point that we must ponder this morning, that if you are not invested in gospel partnership, you're missing out. You're missing out. Do you long, church, do you long for the deep, meaningful relationships that you see on display here in this passage? I know you do because it's ingrained into our human nature. We long for loving, joyful, deep, meaningful relationships with other people. We may deny that to some degree, but we know deep down there is a longing in our souls because God created us that way. And praise God that He provides that for us in this imperfect yet perfectly redeemed community of believers that He calls the church. And so while investment is certainly financial, it goes far beyond that. This partnership between Paul and Philippi was meaningful on so many layers. Giving of time, giving of gifts, giving of prayers, all these things are investments into the work that they were doing together. So my encouragement to you this morning is this. What does that next step look like for you? What does it actually look like for you to invest deeper into the life of the church? What might it look like for you to lean further into the work of the church rather than further away from it? We've spent a lot of time over the last year and a half talking about the nature of meaningful church membership seeing church membership as a partnership. We're not doing this because we want to add numbers to our church. We want to add partners to our church who are invested in the work of the Lord for what the Lord is doing here in central Illinois. That's meaningful. That's purposeful. That's living life on mission. That is what we see in the New Testament is that these believers are working together arm in arm for a common cause. As your pastors, we do not want you to miss out. This, I, I want you to understand this. We do not want you to miss out on the joy that can be yours through this type of partnership. And I say that with the utmost sincerity. That when you start to understand this for what it really is, what it looks like, you strip it down to what the Scriptures teach. This is awesome. It's so good. And we long for each of you to experience it together with one another for the glory of God. But I must move on. Fourthly, our lives are living sacrifices to God. Our lives are living sacrifices to God. This gets a bit more personal to our everyday lives. 
But do not miss the language that Paul used back in verse 18. When our lives are operating in humble obedience and faith, it is a fragrant offering, a fragrant sacrifice being directly offered to God Himself. That's the exact language that Paul uses in Romans chapter 12 where he talks about presenting your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. What unique language is that, right? That our bodies are living sacrifices. The very nature of an Old Testament sacrifice was that the sacrifice was killed. It doesn't live anymore. And yet, we as believers are living sacrifices. It means that everything we do has the opportunity to be a pleasing expression of worship to the Lord. Or let me put it more simply for you this morning. It means this. All of life is worship. All of life is worship. Everything you do is an expression of worship in response to the God who has saved you and redeemed you. Not, worship goes far beyond what we're doing right now here on Sunday morning once we leave this building here. Every facet of your life says something about your love and faith in God. And so let me ask you this morning, what is your life saying? When you leave the walls of this building, you go home to your families, when you go home to your job, when you go into your schools, what is your life communicating about God to others? The reality is that most of our worship overflows from our understanding of God. Let me go back for a moment to that burst of praise that Paul expressed in verse 20. Where does that come from? This overflow and outburst of praise, where does that come from? Typically when Paul does this, it is in response to some idea or overflow of a truth about God. Here the overflow is from the truth of verse 19. He was confident that God would supply them everything that they need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You see here that what Paul believes shapes how Paul responds. It reminds us of why we must prioritize our pursuit of understanding God according to His Word. He is glorious. And He is worth it. And when we understand all that we have been saved from, church, when we understand that and we begin to grasp the reality of what we have been saved from, why would we not make that a top priority in our life? To better know the God who has gone to such great lengths to know us. And all of this testifies to the final truth expressed in the final verse of this letter that our lives are covered in grace. Grace is not just what saves us. It is what sustains us. It is what grows us and should hopefully be what radiates from us. And as Paul makes clear here, this grace is not our own 
The very nature of grace itself is that grace is a gift. And the grace that we have been given is that which comes from Jesus Himself. And as such, Paul both begins and ends this letter with the call for grace to be with them. Do you remember that? Back in chapter 1, verse 2, grace to you from God and Father, from our God and Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And now he ends with that remark of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Grace is an all-encompassing aspect of our life. It was for the Philippians. They were covered in it. Oh, many of you have or have had little kids, but oftentimes they come back home after playing outside. Maybe they're just caked in dirt and mud and all whatever you want to name. So often, what's the question we as parents want to ask them? <laughs> Not just what were you thinking, but it's the question of where have you been? Where have you been? The hope for us as Christians is that people would say the same for us. But not just ask the question, but also know the answer because of how they see the grace of God cover every area of our life. That they would ask the question when they look at us, where have they been? They've been with Jesus because the grace of Jesus radiates from their life. So this is Paul's way of ending this amazing letter. Grace at the start, grace at the end, and grace everywhere in between. Church, we must rejoice in the sweet gospel partnership that we share together. And so I conclude by saying the exact same thing that Paul said to the Philippians. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and with your spirit. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We do thank you that you are a gracious, forgiving God, and that through your forgiveness you have brought us into relationship with other believers. You have brought us and adopted us into a spiritual family where we have brothers and sisters in Christ who love us and care for us. And Lord, we understand that it's imperfect. There are divisions, there are conflicts, there are things that seek to divide us. But Lord, my prayer as I look at this passage is that you would help us to better embrace the common unity that we have in Christ Jesus, that we might love and appreciate and value the fellowship and the partnership that we share together. Recognize that that's not easy. It's hard. It requires humility. It requires a grace that we have seen time and time again throughout this letter. And so we pray that your favor would be upon this church family to continue to grow us, mature us, Lord, and knit us together in the unity we share in Christ Jesus, for whose name we pray and the glory we pursue. Amen.